Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, for a seventh year, we're exploring the UBS Global Real Estate Bubble Index, the annual report that brings an up-to-date take on global urban housing markets and gauges the bubble risk in residential property markets in 25 major cities around the world. What characterises the scene set by the 2023 edition? Well, low financing costs have been the lifeblood of global housing markets over the past decade, driving home prices to, in some cases, dizzying heights. However, the pretty abrupt end of the low interest rate environment has shaken the house of cards. On average of all cities within the past year, inflation-adjusted home prices have seen the sharpest drop since the financial crisis of 2008. So, in which cities have property prices and valuations fallen the most? Where are further corrections imminent? And where are price increases continuing, or might they happen in the future? Let's meet the panellists that are going to unpack this year's edition and answer those questions for us. Kicking off with Matthias Holzheim, Grebby 2023 Editor-in-Chief and Senior Real Estate Economist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO in Zurich. Matthias, great to have you back with us once again this year to talk about the Grebby. First up, before we get into the detail of this year's report, remind our listeners about the objectives of the report each year. Basically, we are trying to quantify if uh, housing markets are at risk of a price correction. We do that by if something unusual has happened on the market. Unusual is being defined as, for example, house prices behave different from the past in the sense that they they grow much faster than rents than they did in the past or that they they decouple from incomes or if households are leveraging up like crazy that, that stuff which starts ringing the alarm bells in our model basically and if you have too many signals at the same time then you get quantified basically as being at bubble risk and yeah historically i mean it's quite a simple model basically but if you do some back testing Yes, a bit surprisingly, it works rather well. So you have a solid chance of of a correction happening if you are actually at bubble risk. You always may, may take a while and there are always some lags behind the model and the reality. But I guess it's the nature of real estate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dive in then to the 2023 edition. It's interesting to consider what the big background factors are, you know, what's happened since the 2022 edition to shape what you would expect the direction of of travel to be. And we can start to talk about some of the main findings of those urban centres that you and your team looked at. But tell us a bit about what you were expecting to see. I mean, if I think back at last year's edition, prices are still increasing in nominal terms by 10%, even though interest rates were already increased at that time and mortgage rates were already high and affordability was really terrible in most most cities. So the expectation was that at some point something had to happen. And now in this edition, it actually happened. So also look at the result. It looks completely different from last year. There are close to no cities left basically at bubble risk because they are in a correction mode already or let's say at least that imbalances are normalizing. So I guess that I would say our expectations were really met with this with this edition. And what's something which we also emphasize is that 
cities which were actually at bubble risk in the last couple of years, they were hit much harder than the cities which were fair valued. Matthias, let's look at then some of the kind of cause and effects. Maybe you can speak to a couple of the big external factors that have driven that, that outcome and, and inform those findings. I guess there's a couple of things. Inflation and the inflationary environment will have made a big contribution, but tight financing conditions as well in many markets will also have shaped the space. Those are just a couple of the, the key factors one imagines. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's inflation is the big normalizer of the real estate markets here. I mean, on the the one side, it triggered higher interest rates and helped to increase rents and incomes may not have kept up in real terms, inflation adjusted terms, but they're still increasing somewhat. And they're also making leverage less interesting or less attractive for many households. So you also see some deleveraging going on. And it also puts pressure basically on construction because construction costs have been rising so much and interest rates have been rising. And this is also something which basically helps to normalize the valuations or to reduce the imbalances we see on those housing markets. So this is really a if you want the positive aspect of the whole inflationary shock we have seen in the last two years. How easy is it to extrapolate what might happen next? I guess people are looking for signs of a turnaround. I guess the view would be somewhat too early for that, more downside in house prices. What are the things to look out for in terms of what could inform what the the, the next phase maybe looks like? I mean, it's a bit tricky to, to make some general comments because the markets are behaving quite differently. In Europe, it's maybe more straightforward than in the US currently, or than in, in Asia, it's anyway quite different. We had quite different stories in the city if you compare Hong Kong to Singapore and Tokyo and Sydney. So one thing we can say is that if you look at the household situation, if you look at the typical home buyer situation, then nothing has changed. Even though house prices have been falling, at least in the European cities, they still can afford like 40 to 50% less living space than they could before the pandemic because mortgage rates did increase further in 2023 compared to 2022. So it was basically just not enough to provide any relief basically in terms of the housing affordability. So from that side, nothing, basically nothing changed. And that's also defining the short-term outlook. So we do not expect a turnaround in the next couple of quarters. On the other hand, if you think on the next couple of years, then I mean, rental growth is taking the lead. We see that urban living is still in high demand. We can see that if we look at population growth in those cities, this has been accelerating again after the pandemic. And then, as we already mentioned, we see that building permits or housing starts have been declining in almost all cities to recover. So basically, we will have more demand and we have a bit less construction. And we already have now strong rental growth. So yeah, going forward, it's basically just a matter of interest rates. When and how f- how fast house prices will jump back <laughs> to previous levels. But I mean, that's just a uh, coffee shops reading <laughs> in German. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, and we'll get a bit more of a geo-specific yeah. picture when we chat with John and, and Dean. Matthias, just a note, though, on some of the most sought-after destinations of recent years. I think thinking back over previous iterations of the Grebby piece. This is obviously places like Singapore. I think Dubai had its moment. Miami, definitely. For some of those most sought after destinations, do we see that they, I don't know, buck some of these trends? What do the numbers tell us? That's something that's quite interesting. I mean, in the past, the most sought after destinations were London and San Francisco, okay? And they really lost a lot of their appeal. Today's most sought after destinations are Singapore, Miami and Dubai. What we see, interestingly, is that imbalances in the model have not increased, 
because they recorded strong house price growth on the one hand side, but the rental market was even more heated up. So prices increased by up to say 40% in the last two years in those destinations, but rental price increased more than 50% or up to 50% in those destinations in two years. So that's basically equalizing the house price risk uh, in the model. And so you can always then ask how sustainable these things are and there you get quite different answers. I mean, I guess in Dubai, yeah, I mean, a lot depends likely on the oil price, a lot depends on the, also on geopolitics. I guess it holds also as well for Singapore, which has profited from, from foreign immigration. But we now have thoughts on restricting rental growth, which may then cause another market disturbance. And Miami basically profits from the weakness in California, but and also from a lot of foreign investment demand, which is just focusing on, on those destinations. Matthias Holtzai. Well, for our next perspective on the Grebby 2023, we're turning to Dean Turner, economist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO here in London. Dean Turner, welcome back. What did we learn from this year's iteration? Well, I think we learned a few things from this year's report. I think the big headline that we have to remember is that London real estate, according to our measures, still remains in overvalued territory. But there has been a little bit of a correction, not just at the price level, but also if we think about what's happened in terms of real prices, the inflation shock that we've had over the last couple of years has also led to quite a significant adjustment. So you know, when we're looking at the level of overvaluation, it's clearly come down a bit, but London still remains in that category. Yeah, and I guess one of the things that limits downside, and this is a perennial topic, isn't it, certainly here in the UK capital, is the lack of housing supply, Dean. And I guess it does mean that Correct. even though the, the price correction isn't maybe over yet, there is a limit to downside just because the market is kind of structurally undersupplied with adequate housing. That's absolutely correct. One of the biggest problems that we have in the UK, not just London, more broadly, is is a lack of planning reform. Economists like me have been asking for planning reform for decades, and we'll probably spend the next few decades asking for it again. And the chances of us actually seeing much uh, movement there are pretty limited. So, you know, that's going to be one of the situations that continues to support prices. It will be lack of supply in what is still a very tight market. And Dean, if we just zoom out a little, we've already talked a little bit about Switzerland. We're going to talk about the US later in the programme. But just if we look Europe wide at some of the big mm-hmm. cities that often feature in the Grebby, of course, they, although they might tick up and down the, the list a little. Any other kind of broad brush observations about the, the European picture that you think are interesting? Yeah, I think, look, from a European perspective, I think the key markets to think about are Zurich and Frankfurt. Frankfurt itself, it's been one of those markets that's performed extremely well, but interestingly, has seen one of the sharpest adjustments. And the reason for that is probably very clear. You know, we've been in a situation where interest rates in the euro area have gone from minus 50 basis points up to 4% at the last meeting. So it's quite a sharp move. And in fact, the fastest increase in interest rates that we have on record. And that will have consequences. We shouldn't be surprised by that. You know, this is what monetary policy is designed to do. It's designed to slow the economy. But one of the areas that will clearly be impacted will be the property market. I think the other one I mentioned as well, Zurich, it, it is worth just mentioning because this is one of the markets that actually stays in bubble risk territory. Again, I think, you know, some of the circumstances are unique. We are talking about a market where interest rates are structurally lower. The Swiss National Bank has been on a hiking cycle itself, but we're talking very different orders of magnitude compared to what we've seen elsewhere in Europe and in the UK. 
But one of the more broader trends that comes out in the report is it's interesting that how many of, of the major cities have actually fallen from bubble just back into overvalued territory, but worth noting that Zurich still remains up there. Dean Turner. Well, finally, let's get that view from across the Atlantic from the head of US real estate research for the CIO of UBS Wealth Management, Jonathan Wallachin. Jonathan, welcome back to the programme. What are the headlines on your side of the pond? It's been a really, really interesting several years, certainly real estate around the world, but particularly here in the US. And so when COVID originally hit, rightfully so, there was great concern what would happen to the housing market. But once we got past that initial shock, you had a lot of unexpected things happen many of which were people who lived in dense cities, be it in New York or San Francisco, although LA not quite as dense because it is more spread out. You saw them moving to suburbs. And I happened to live in a suburb of Manhattan and I was watching houses selling like hotcakes. I guess that's, I'm dating myself with that phrase. And so I think what we learned was there was a combination. I think initially it was born out of fear of, I don't want to be in this very, dense area where there's this disease we know nothing about. But as time went on and we started to have more remote work, especially when you're in dense cities like New York and San Francisco, which were two of the cities that saw a significant amount of this, the average apartment size is fairly small. And so people were finding they needed more room. And if you had kids who were now having to you know, do remote schoolwork, you had to have more room. And so this set off a chain of events of significant demand. Now, we all remember from Economics 101, there's two sides of the coin, there's supply and demand. And I think the biggest difference between the global financial crisis or the period leading up to the global financial crisis and this current cycle was the dearth of supply today versus back then when there was a surfeit of supply. So you take that very simple economics one-on-one concept of de minimis supply and outsized demand, the rest is history. Home prices just exploded in many, many markets. And so let's kind of fast forward to where we are today. And I think of shelter. So when I say the word shelter, I think of housing. You can own a home, you can rent a home, you can rent an apartment, you can buy a condo, you can live in a manufactured home community. So shelter can exist in a vacuum. So in addition to this just dramatic move up we saw in home prices, we've seen a concomitant move in apartment rents as well. And so home prices could continue to increase because the cost of shelter went up so much. So where we are today is looking at a situation where supply is still very, very restrained, number one. Number two, the supply of apartments is increasing. And we're going to have probably elevated supply in many markets, certainly for the next several quarters. And so we're probably at a point now where We've seen the majority of the upside move in many, many markets in the country. You know, we've seen a lot of intra-U.S. moves from one part of the country to another, you know, particularly whether you want to call it from the blue states to the red states or from the northeast and the west to the Sun Belt. And while that we do believe those migratory patterns will continue, we think the pace will slow. So when you add it all up, the biggest wild card is now interest rates and affordability or lack thereof. 
And so while the dearth of supply of homes we think will help support pricing, we think the lack of affordability is going to sort of make it a little bit more challenging. So when we net it all out, and this is obviously by looking at the Grebby, we're comparing it to cities around the world, you know, we think largely things are for the most part, fairly valued. I know Miami, maybe because Miami has been just such a huge destination. It does come in the overvalued category. But the best way I can say it, this cycle, everything we would have thought has happened in reverse. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? And I suppose, you know, you've mentioned a couple of things there, John, already, this sort of record low affordability, people, such a conversation, you know, the rise in rates, that's still very active. And that has, though, weakened housing demand in lots of the cities. You said there's been some corrections. We're not done with those corrections just yet. We can read that into your, your opening remarks, I guess. Well, it's interesting. I ran an analysis of 40 of the largest markets in the United States a couple of days ago. And what I did was on the bottom of the x-axis, I looked at the change in median home price in a given market from January of 2017 to the second quarter of 2023. And then on the up and down to the y-axis, I looked at the change from the peak price in each of those markets to second quarter of 2023. And with the exception really of San Francisco and Oakland, which saw pretty significant declines from their peak prices. And I think there are some very, very market specific factors that accounted for that. We have not seen massive declines. There are certain markets, maybe in Austin, Texas, or Boise, Idaho, which saw such outsized appreciation that you know, you've seen maybe from the peak prices down 10 to 15%. But there are a lot of markets that are still trading at or near peak. And so I think a lot of it still comes down to, if you look at the demographics of the United States, the single biggest portion of the population is still around prime home buying years. Affordability, yes, is more challenging, but there is still that demand out there. And while, you know, in our view, the final chapter has not been written yet on hybrid and remote work, it's clear that there is going to be some form of hybrid work in many industries if not forever, for quite a while, because forever is certainly a long time. And I think that bodes well, certainly for demand that might otherwise not be as high, given the lack of affordability. So when you add that potential demand with lack of supply, we don't think there's going to be this major retrenchment in prices, barring, obviously, if there were a huge, really significant recession, rates continue to go up unabated, or God forbid, a negative geopolitical action. A final takeaway from your US vantage point, John? To me, I think one of the most important messages that we deliver to our clients, that this is not a repeat of 2008, 2009. And while there's always things to worry about, and as I like to joke, I get paid to worry for a living, there are significant differences. The quality of mortgage underwriting is much better. The dearth of supply is drastically different. Obviously, we have a situation, as we mentioned earlier, with hybrid and remote work. We have, and this is certainly not a new phenomenon, it's been certainly been going on over the last 12, 13 years, but you know, the intra-US migratory patterns by both people and companies, a lot of it is being driven by economics. And people want to go to 
lower tax states where it's a more business friendly environment. And so I think there's a lot of dynamics that are very, very different from where we were last time. And so while I, I want to be clear to your listeners that there will be more foreclosures, there will be people who will default on mortgages, we just think the system is just in a much better place. And the public home builders, while they're doing their best to fill the void of the dearth of homes that have not been built between the global financial crisis and today, there's only so many homes they can build. So we want to be clear, we're not saying home prices are going to continue to run to the upside, but we think the market is set up for certainly more health than it was leading into the global financial crisis. Jonathan Wallachin. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the programme here on Monocle Radio. Listen again and explore more at monocle.com or follow the show wherever you get your audio. You can discover more and find out how UBS can help you by visiting ubs.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening.